Welcome to the New York Lucis Trust Full Moon Meditation Meeting. Each month we work together as a group to contact, hold, and distribute spiritual energy in the service of humanity and all life forms. To receive announcements for our meetings, please email us at newyork at lucistrust.org, L-U-C-I-S-T-R-U-S-T dot org. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Festival of Scorpio here in our New York offices. And welcome to all of you who are joining in online. We appreciate all of your participation. Uh, the exact time of the full moon, as most of you know, it's a five-day period. This is the second day of preparation, and tomorrow is called the Day of Safeguarding, the actual day of the full moon. And the actual time is at 12.45 in the afternoon. So if you have a moment and enough quiet space to link up at that time um, and join with the subjective group of people all over the planet who are likewise linking up, you'll be providing a real service to humanity at this time of transition in our planetary life. As you know, we're working with the energies of Scorpio the sign of transformation. Transformation that occurs in the depths and darkness. Sometimes it's compared to the chrysalis stage. I'm not sure why the sound is going a little weird. Um, sometimes the Scorpio experience is compared to the chrysalis stage in consciousness. And eventually, after many lives passing through that state of Scorpio consciousness, Someday we'll, we may emerge uh, into the beauty and freedom of the butterfly. But it's, it's certainly more than one life's effort. <laughs> so Sometimes when we're considering um, a visual image, it gives us a road map, and it's helpful when we're on a journey. And the path itself is a journey, as we all know. And it's a journey that leads us into the depths and into the challenges, therefore more necessary than ever to have a road map. And there is uh, one such road map that I tend to remember and recollect from time to time, given to us in a book, The Treatise on White Magic by the Tibetan. It's a simple visual that he says really governs the, um, this group of, he calls them world mystics, who are working together today at this Scorpio full moon and at each full moon and all the time, really. But it particularly, we know the full moons are the important times. So the image is really a simple one. It's three visual, it's like a visual path. The first part of the image is a golden path. He describes this golden path. And uh, those of you who are students of the ancient wisdom might understand this path to be the Antakarana, the golden bridge of light, sometimes called the rainbow bridge of light. It's the bridge that we build in consciousness that takes us first from our personality to the soul aspect. And so we build this bridge in consciousness. So the image starts with the golden path but then it's said that it leads to the clear pool. And I think this is a clear indication or reference 
to the inner ashrams, which are often described as reservoirs of living light. <coughs> they are built, uh, these reservoirs are built, we're told, by the master, who, the master, the head of the ashram. And they are composed of this living substance that is a reflection of his dreams and wishes, what he wants to do in the world at this time in order to aid humanity in its pursuit of liberation. So we, as disciples, can also, we're told, contribute to this pool, this reservoir, by our aspiration, our contributions to the path. And then the third image is that of the Temple of Retreat, which I think is also a clear reference to the great center lying far beyond the center Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known. So we go from the clear path to the clear pool to the temple of retreat, really integrating all three of the planetary centers, our work as disciples, members of humanity, the work of the hierarchy composed of all these inner ashrams, and then leading eventually to a touch of Shambhala if we work in group formation. We're living in a time of excessive activity in all three worlds, encompassing all three of the physical bodies of humanity, the physical etheric, the emotional body, and the mental body. We're all being unduly stimulated at all three levels. And so too is the planetary life, the great lord of our planet, passing through a period of tremendous stimulation. And we who stand as brain cells within that great life are also partaking of that stimulation. And so during such times, the Tibetan indicates that it's more necessary than ever to hold to our inner practices, to hold to our path. <coughs> because it's said that if without steadiness of purpose on the part of this group of world mystics, the um, plan could be interrupted on our planet. We could pass into a phase of materialism and darkness. And this happened once before in ancient Atlantis. And it said that if we don't do our work, which is, he says symbolically, we constitute what's called the door. We constitute a means by which this door to the higher realities can remain open. If we falter in our meditation work and our application to spiritual practices, then uh, this door could close. And then the uh, ancient mysteries would have to recede into the background of our planetary life and no longer be externalized as they have been since Blavatsky came out with the Secret Doctrine in 1875. So it really puts a, a quite a bit of responsibility on the shoulders of the spiritual workers of the world. So, there's another type of bridging work that we can undertake. It seems, when you first think about it, to be somewhat exalted for humanity, but he tells us that it is not. If we work uh, collectively, one of our tasks is to build another type of bridge, an extraplanetary, onto Karana, 
that would link the planet Venus and the planet Earth. Because those of you who might have some knowledge of the teachings will recognize that Venus and the Earth have a, a very strong relationship. Venus is like our sister, but she's our wise sister. The Earth, not always so wise. And so part of Venus's responsibility is to shed light on Earth. And she can do that to the extent it's much facilitated by humanity's ability to build this bridge in consciousness. So this can certainly be facilitated during the times of the full moon. And at this particular full moon, it just so happens that there is another um, alignment that's aiding us tremendously in building this bridge. And so I think this Scorpio full moon is exceptionally important at this particular year. Because some of you who might study astronomy or astrology would know that on this Friday, we're coming up to an exact alignment between the sun, Venus, and the earth. This is called an inferior conjunction. This means that the sun is there, Venus is in between, and then the earth. And they're all in the exact same degree of alignment. So this happens every one and a half years, approximately, with very great regularity. And it's an important station in the Venus cycle with the earth. And those of you who study or watch YouTube videos might know about this tremendously interesting cycle of the dance that Venus and the Earth take around each other during an eight-year period wherein a perfect uh, five-pointed star is formed. Some call it the Rose of God. It's like a pentagram. So there's a really deep esoteric um, relationship between these two planets, and this Friday is a very important point within that eight-year cycle. So it's the time when Venus is closest to the Earth. So Venus being our soul, in between the sun, the great sun, the transmitter of energies through its heart, pours through Venus, and then it's focalized in a potent stream onto our planet. And so if you want to hold your Scorpio full moon, focus a little bit more intently to bring through this heart energy because Venus is really helping us to develop our heart and our mind because Venus is dual in its, in its application. So, <coughs> holding the opportunities of this cycle in our mind, let's now come together in a moment of silence, recognizing ourselves as constituting this door. The door can only be opened through spiritual tension. So let's do what we can now to start our meeting with a moment of silence with this spiritual tension and then the sounding of the ancient mantra, which you find in the card on your chairs. Lead us, O Lord, from darkness to light, from the unreal to the real, from death to immortality.
you might not know, but there's a, another line um, that's given for this ancient mantra. And it's one that I think we could begin to consider using. We don't usually use it, but considering the cycle into which we're entering, it might be helpful to begin to use this fourth line, or fifth line, sorry. Um, the phrase goes simply, lead us from chaos to beauty. Okay. And we're given a very interesting uh, accompaniment to the use of that particular line, lead us from chaos to beauty. The Tibetan gives us a visual, uh, a visualization, <coughs> a very brief visualization that we are asked to use. And particularly, uh, I would think, at the time of the full moon, and maybe particularly at the time of Taurus or Scorpio, which works so much with color and, and the energies of uh, the fourth ray, that visualization might be particularly called for. So the symbol is said to be one that's in constant motion. We're asked to visualize a square or an oblong that's in constant ceaseless motion with inchoate bright colors. And it's depicted at, by the Tibetan as utter con a state of utter confusion. And he goes on to state that this is really the image that is seen from the higher planes of what our planet is passing through. Utter confusion, complete lack of order, garish colors. But he says he asks us to visualize overlaying that image, a brilliant sun in the center of the square, and then radiating out from that brilliant sun, we're asked to visualize the seven colors of the rainbow, emanating in subtle and translucent forms. Simply that. And so we each do that. We can do that in the way that seems best for us. But I think that we can then serve in this process of bringing order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it's not that difficult. And he said that the strength and the capacity to work effectively with this visualization depends upon our mental orientation. Are we focused more in our personality? And he says specifically our personality ray, or are we being focused more by our soul ray? So when we come to a consideration of the sign of Scorpio, we know that it's the sign of the warrior. And when we look around the planet today, we can see how strong this influence is at this time, for the battles are raging on all sides. Battling is a key quality of the spiritual path of discipleship, for we, we must all wrestle and fight our way into a greater measure of light. We don't enter into that light easily quickly. The Tibetan therefore urges his disciples to see to it that they battle. There are many factors within the Scorpio experience that contribute to this tendency to battle, but the one that would, I would like to address tonight is that of the fourth ray, because that influence controls strongly 
in Scorpio and is growing as we move towards 2025 when it officially comes into manifestation. So that's not many years uh, into the future. The rays cycle in and out with different lengths of their cycling, but this lower manifestation or it's not the right word, lower, lesser cycle of the fourth ray is coming in in 2025. And so this will have a real effect on our world, um, particularly, he says, along the line of harmonizing. It is the way of harmony through conflict, but it's indicated that as the fourth ray comes in, there will be a, a um, magnetization of the harmony aspect of that ray. The color uh, generally associated with the fourth ray is yellow. That demonstrates its relationship with the mental plane, the plane of illumination, the plane of booty, and with the planet Mercury, the fourth ray planet. So Mercury really um, focalizes the fourth ray energies as it pours in from the distant stars in the Great Bear. It's focalized through the planet Mercury. And it's interesting to note that the Tibetan references the changing colors of the leaves in the autumn as a reflection of this quality of wisdom and booty because of the yellow and gold colors that so often predominate. And he, he uh, compares this quality of wisdom to the withdrawing of the stark influence of the sun that occurs during the sp spring and summer months as the sun starts to fade, so too in the life of an individual, as with the aging process, the sun or vitality of the life starts to fade, so too can the wisdom aspect begin to come in more fully. It's said that this cycling in and out of the ray influences comes about because the master musician, the logos or god of the universe, is moving the keys and tuning the note of our planet to a higher or different vibratory influence. So when we think of this event from this macrocosmic level, it's very simple and also very beautiful and a picture of a great synthetic orchestra emerges. And when a ray cycles in, it brings all things that are attuned to it into the world as well. It highlights the zodiacal and planetary influences associated with it. Like I said, the sign of Scorpio, the sign of um, Taurus, and also the planet Mercury, as I said, which focalizes those energies. So those signs will become <coughs> more prominent in the planetary life as we move forward. It brings in the colors and the sounds to which the ray is attuned. It brings in the flora, the fauna, and the human beings who are coming forth along that ray line. The fourth ray is of particular importance to humanity, we're told, because it governs us, particularly at the soul level. The soul of humanity is governed by the fourth ray. And so as this ray influence comes into increasing manifestation during the next cycle, there will surely be uh, great expansions in human consciousness 
a greater ability, an influx of greater soul energy that will pour through into human consciousness, aligning us as we work particularly in group formation with our soul. And therefore the fourth ray influence will surely swell the ranks of the discipleship group in the world. For this group is governed by Scorpio and also the new group of world servers, we're told, is governed by Taurus and by the planet Mercury. And so this influx of fourth ray energy will surely swell the ranks of the disciples in the world. And that's what we need to emerge triumphant out of the present uh, battling that's going on. The fourth ray energy works out in an individual as a person who's full of contrasts, of highs and lows, of rushing forward with daring and intensity of feeling in a rajasic state, but it's also the ray of cowardice, paralysis, and the tamasic energy controls. So it's a ray, as I said, of contrast. Therefore, when the influence is strong, it can be difficult to maintain emotional balance for an individual. And poise, and these qualities are necessary to traverse the spiritual path. But it's said that the conflict engendered by this sign can also result in rapid progress along the way. But the major goal or desire of the fourth ray individual <coughs> is to create. But stem and steadily the emanating source of his or her creations shift and are lifted up to a higher source of inspiration and they become the vehicle through which the hidden splendor can be revealed. And then the fourth ray person cries out, let the outer glory pass away and the beauty of the inner light reveal the one. Let dissonance give place to harmony and from the center of the hidden light, let the soul speak. Let the word roll forth Beauty and glory veil me not. I stand revealed. I am. So we know that if we've ever studied the labors of Hercules, that the Scorpio labor is one of the most famous. You know, it's Scorpio um, labor is related to the nine tests of the Scorpio disciple three tests in each of the three vehicles. Uh, the tests um, related to seething uh, serpents. And each time Hercules tries to get rid of one of his faults by slicing the head off of the serpents, he realizes that two spring forth. And I'm sure we've all had similar experiences in our own attempts to get rid of our own faults and shortcomings. Sometimes that um, focus that we place upon them from the lower aspect <coughs> only tends to strengthen them. So uh, Hercules got quite frustrated with this experience and realized he was losing the battle. And he therefore recognized that using this violence and this aggression against his faults or challenges 
was just not going to work for him. And he was a very creative person. Uh, I believe he was ruled by the sign of Scorpio. So I think he was either just very uh, creative or tired, but he knelt down, symbolically perhaps this is the story. But that became the key to release. He knelt down and lifted the serpents up into the light. There they withered and died. So it's a pretty clear reference of kneeling as the key quality to combat all faults upon the spiritual path. That one seemingly simple quality, which is not very simple for most human beings, being as we are largely focused in the personality which desires a lot of intention and is not very compatible with true humility. (laughs) But uh, as we lift up, as we build our bridge in consciousness um, and lift our lower aspects into the light, we are in effect um, following the path of Hercules and becoming humble. We're surrendering to our higher self and we're allowing the lower faults to die of attrition through the influx of light from the soul. So I wanted to search out a little bit more about humility, and we probably, some of us know the famous quote from D.K., it's an adjusted sense of right proportion, which makes sense, obviously, because there's a lot of (coughs) uh, misunderstanding of what humility is. And with that quote, an adjusted sense of right proportion, he's telling us to assume the responsibilities of our stage in consciousness if we understand what they are, if we understand where we are. We don't want to assume the responsibilities of someone ahead of us on the path because that would only cause us to be frustrated. But neither do we want to assume the responsibilities because we're so humble. He says there's a lot of false humility on seekers on the path. And that would not be right either to assume the responsibilities of someone who uh, is not at the particular stage in which we find ourselves. So we have to determine where we are on the path, which isn't easy, always. Even for highly developed people, sometimes it's not easy for them to know where they stand. But um, I wanted to search out some more information about humility because it's the key to the place where most of us are probably finding ourselves. We're all dealing with some of those tests at this stage in development. We're all dealing with some hydras, some serpents that are lurking. Uh, The real ones are the ones that we don't see so easily, of course, but um, but even the ones that we see, they're still hard to deal with. So the Tibetan says that the best means to free ourselves from um, our inability to be truly humble is through, of course, that favorite word, detachment. And he says that we have to detach ourselves um, from all that we have achieved, from all of our goals towards which we're striving so often, And then, and only then, as we give up our attachment to these things, can we begin to be truly humble and liberated, and he says, therefore, able to recognize what is our next step. 
Otherwise, we might spend our days futilely laboring away when there should be something, there may be something else that we should be doing within that same environment. Doesn't necessarily mean changing your environment, but there might be something else that we're missing. Might not be anything related to our job or our relationships. It might be just more likely a quality that we're failing to develop because we're too focused on the outer things of our lives. <coughs> So he said that um, there's two different kinds of humility. There's one that's called humility of, of the head. That's theoretical and usually quite impractical or abstract. But there's also humility of heart, and that's the one that leads, at, at least the Tibetan in his reference, to this particular disciple that leads to the true humility of heart, true humility. And he said that that is always spontaneous. It's not something that's worked up through the personality. It's spontaneous and it's liberating. So therefore, if we are to attempt to um, manifest true humility of heart, we have to cultivate the energies of the heart. And in the arcane school, Alice Bailey, um, someone who I think had a lot of heart unfoldment, she made sure to include a whole series of 12 lessons on the heart the taken from the book uh, in the Agni Yoga series by that name. So um, it's something that we always focus on here. And the Tibetan did say a very startling revelation, that his group of disciples failed. You, pr you might know that if you've read. He had 50 or so disciples who, with whom he was corresponding. They were taken in hand by a master of the wisdom, but the large percentage of them failed. And he said, you might be surprised as to why. And he said it was the underactivity of the heart center. So you can see that at that time, as our planet was going through the throes of World War II, that outer activity was not enough to evoke uh, the heart into sufficient activity. And we wonder today, if the Tibetan were to uh, look around at us, he's not working necessarily with us out outwardly as he was then, but would he not perhaps see the same? problem in our, in our groups today. And he said that this humility of heart leads to the letting go of fixity in one's opinions and the wish to impose one's opinions on others. That's the, one of the primary um, influences of humility of heart, letting go of the fixity of our opinions which is so strong still because we're passing out of a really long period of sixth ray, which likes to dominate and likes to tell others <laughs> what to do. Um, we have to come to recognize that the many paths, the many ways, are all leading to the same goal. And he wrote, their attitude when they have learnt this lesson of humility of heart 
is ever the fostering and the interpreting and the strengthening of the ways and methods which suit those with whom they are associated. And it is the quality of endeavoring to help. So it's quite simple in theory, again. So as we enter into the depths of Scorpio, its qualities of detachment and surrender and eventual triumph lead us to the end of the day to a growing freedom of expression. The warrior nature of this sign is perhaps a lower reflection of what has come to be known in the East as the Bodhisattva warrior, the compassion warrior. Such warriors who are realized beings move consciously into the pain of the world in order to help alleviate it. And as we follow, we too can take up this greater care and meet the need as it arises in our daily lives. Even if sometimes this means not liking how that feels. Through our own awakening, we can help others to do the same. Then we move beyond the limits of conventional happiness, beyond enslavement to success and failure, praise and blame. Great Buddhist masters have prophesied that many eons into the future, there will be a great battle taking place upon the earth, a battle which is sometimes called the final judgment day. This isn't the judgment day that might occur a couple thousand years from now. This is a final judgment day, many eons of years ahead. But our battling and warring on this planet is all sort of a precursor we're told, to this final judgment day. It's then that the forces of aggression who are still active on our planet will amass on Earth and no reason will be able to turn them back. Perhaps all lesser wars are reflections of this eventual global conflagration. It's said that as these warring masses move to combat the forces of light on our planet, then the kingdom of Shambhala will open its gates and its enlightened warriors will come forth into battle and the earth will eventually be liberated. The tiny reflection of the global liberation is that which the individual achieves as he or she passes through the Scorpio experience, not once, but many times. In the end, he emerges simply into the light of day. This is the place where three lights meet in Scorpio. The light of form, the light of the soul, and the light of life itself. And so the light becomes very bright. The word is made flesh. And as the lights meet and blend, Nothing can deter the pilgrim, and the way ahead stands clear. So now, let's undertake our meditation work.
Let's just take a moment before we start our formal work to settle ourselves and link with the worldwide group that constitutes the door. Let's link with our brothers and sisters on the path, recollecting them in consciousness. Let's come together in group fusion. We'll read together the mantras when we come to them, and let's try and say them together. So we affirm the fact of group fusion and integration within the heart center of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity. I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. We project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy of the planet, the planetary heart, the great ashram of Sanat Kumara, and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy. And then we extend the alignment, the line of light, towards Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known.
higher interlude. Hold the contemplative mind open to the extraplanetary energy streaming into Shambhala, radiated through hierarchy. Use the creative imagination and attempt to see the three planetary centers, Shambhala, hierarchy, and humanity, gradually coming into alignment and interplay. Meditation, reflecting on the keynote for Scorpio. Warrior I am, and from the battle I emerge triumphant.
precipitation. Using the creative imagination, visualize the energies of light, love, and the will to good pouring throughout the planet and becoming anchored on Earth in prepared physical plane centers through which the plan can manifest. Using the sequence Shambhala, hierarchy, the Christ, the group of world servers, men and women of goodwill everywhere, into the physical plane centers of distribution. Lower interlude. Refocus the consciousness as a group within the periphery of the great ashram and sound together the affirmation. In the center of all love I stand. From that center I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Visualize the downpouring spiritual inflow released from Shambhala through the hierarchy, and streaming into humanity through the prepared channel. Consider how these inpouring energies are establishing the pathway of light for the coming world teacher.
distribution. <clears throat> As we sound the great invocation, visualize the outpouring of light and love and power from the spiritual hierarchy through the five planetary inlets, London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo, irradiating the consciousness of the whole human race. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you all. Just a reminder, the exact time of the full moon tomorrow is at 12.45 in the afternoon. And there will be another full moon meditation meeting in our London office tomorrow at 1.30 uh, Eastern Standard, Eastern Daylight Time, if you can link up with that. And then um, 
Our next event after this is uh, our seminar, which occurs on November 10th at from 1 till 5.30 p.m. And its title is In Resonance with the Living Earth. And we have some really good speakers. So if you can make that, um, put it on your calendars. We'd like to see you there. And that's, uh, that's our new moon meeting for this month. And then the Festival of Sagittarius will be here on Wednesday, November 21st. And since that's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we're holding the meeting at 1 p.m. So don't show up later. We won't be here. So 1 p.m. And we'll send out emails for that. So thank you all, and um, have a good night. Thank you for your participation in this group service. Please join us again next month. To receive announcements for our meetings, please email us at newyork.lucistrust.org.